Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. My name is Ashley Giordano and I'm senior editor at Overland Journal and Expedition Portal. I'm very excited to be here at Overland Expo West in Flagstaff, Arizona in the Black Series podcast studio with two very special guests, Carissa and Lindbergh of Gone Durton. Hello. Hi. Welcome <laughs> to the show. Thank you for coming on. I'm so excited to have you guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. We're yeah. excited. Oh gosh, Lindbergh. <laughs> There's so much to talk about because you guys do amazing photography, have a background in automotive photography, mm-hmm. um, have really cool vehicles, have two really beautiful dogs, make delicious food. So it's hard. <laughs> I'm like, where do we start? But, a lot um, of things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So let's start with the origin story, I guess. Like, how did you guys get into the Overland world? And a special thanks to this week's sponsor, GCI Outdoor. Whether you're heading out for a weekend of adventure in the woods or to your backyard fire pit, GCI Outdoor Gear is ready for whatever you have planned. GCI Outdoor has been around for 25 years, so they know what they're doing when it comes to the best in portable recreation gear. GCI has innovative products ranging from outdoor rockers to complete camp kitchens and everything in between. And with a limited lifetime warranty, you know they stand behind everything they make. GCI Outdoor Gear is comfortable, durable, and built for adventures, big and small. Try them out for yourself. Head over to their website at GCIoutdoor.com and save 10% off your first purchase when you sign up for their email list. Thanks again, GCI. When we first met, we both are automotive photographers, right? And we both work out of LA. And when you work in automotive photography or in what we would say in production in LA, it's a very hustle and bustle. And it's always like, bam, 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 always the next thing. And we, it just kept compounding with us more and more and more and more. And we love what we do, but we also need breaks. And we've realized we needed breaks. And so we would take our car at the time, just a regular four-door sedan and pack up our camera gear and then just drive off into who knows where, right? And the more and more we did that, the more and more we realized we needed to do it. Not just as like we liked to do it, but we needed it. Like we craved it. One thing led to another and we started hearing about like, oh, we should see if we go on this trail. Oh, but we can't because I have a car. Next thing you know, we start looking on Craigslist and we picked up a Mitsubishi Montero and not knowing anything about it other than like yeah, it was four by four. Yeah. Also carrying camera gear. We always carried a lot and it was kind of overflowing in our SUV or sedan and we were like, we need an SUV and we could use it for camping. This would be perfect combination mm-hmm, just to mm-hmm. like have something that could fit everything and just get outside. Yeah. I mean, originally we wanted a, a Land Cruiser like everybody else, but yeah. then we realized that it was far reaching out, out of our price range and we got a $5,000 vehicle that we have seen like a good portion of the country with. Yeah, Montero is awesome because yeah. you still get heated seats. It has a rear locking diff and four wheel drive. Yeah, got everything really we need all for five grand. <laughs> it was great. Amazing. <laughs> so did you kind of accessorize right away or did you learn what you needed and then went from there or how did that develop? Uh, I think we continued to ground camp for a while even with the Montero but we started to realize that okay working in or living out of the back of the Montero started to become a priority like we had Bosco boxes then and then we had stacked on everything from top of that and then we're like okay this sucks to pack up camp every single day what could we do and then at the time like this is like what eight years ago probably at this point that was kind of the infancy of kind of this and I would say this industry has been around for so long but we started hearing about it maybe eight years ago right and then rooftop tents started becoming a thing and then all 
all these other things started becoming a thing. We had a vehicle that no one really worked on too, or didn't, there was not much aftermarket support, but we one needed certain things and we, we did it as on a per need basis, right? Gotcha. Yeah. So rack came on to put things on top of the rack and then eventually like, all right, let's get a used rooftop tent. We yeah. picked up a used rooftop tent, um, built out the back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing next to another. I feel like once we started dialing that in, we were itching to go out longer trips, mm-hmm. go further away. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like way more attainable whenever we started figuring out like how, how we needed our things organized. Having the rooftop tent on top was nice to where, I don't know, we just felt more safe too in yeah. a way yep. in certain areas of the country. Not not just that, but the rooftop tent, you could sleep in colder temperatures and it's more comfortable because yeah. yeah. you're off the ground. Yeah, we were so. doing some like 19 degree ground tent stuff and we were like, that oh hurt. my gosh, that hurt so, so bad. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. So how did the 4x4 change your experience of traveling around US? It changed it in the sense that there was no wall that kept us from anywhere, right? And that's the most important thing, I think. Not that we go out and seek hard trails. It's just us. It's just us. You look on Google Maps like, hey, let's go there. And without thinking, we can go there yeah. because we know we can, right? No and that, that just opens up all the doors. Yeah. Were you traveling with your, what, any animals at that time or did that come later? At that time we had Kaya. So we traveled with one dog and she loved it. She just loves running around and having a good time mm-hmm. in nature. Mm-hmm. And she would just look for lizards under rocks. And yeah. she loved coming out with us just as much. I mean, and also Kaya is a Shiba Inu and she's 15 pounds. Yeah. She's 10 this year. Yeah. She's 10 yeah. this year. But yeah. even like hiking, she out hikes us most of the time. Mm-hmm. Like we would take her backpacking and I'm just like dying and she's like, let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so she's our little adventure dog. Yeah. And now we have Stella. So we travel with two dogs. And what kind of dog is Stella? Uh, we think she's a dash hound mixed with a golden retriever. And she's 16 pounds. So they're the exact same size. Yeah. And they love playing together. Amazing. Yeah. So yeah. they were both in the rooftop tent at one point. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. They yeah. love it. I mean, honestly, it's like another little area of warmth. Stella mm-hmm. would sleep at our feet and I would just put my feet right up against her belly. It was perfect. Yeah. Nice. Do you have any like tips or recommendations or I don't know, life hacks for traveling with dogs? What we realize is our dogs get messy and they get dirty. And there's also actually a lot of self-wash dog wash places that you just go into small towns and they have them. You just just pay whatever it is. And then you you wash your dog yourself. So that's that's a really nice service, especially because Kaya gets in things. And then and Stella's now getting into things, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we have to do it for every trip. It's just sometimes like we've camped at a lake before when we were with you and Richard camped at that lake and there was a dead fish and Kai rolled all over it and I was like you are now sleeping downstairs you are not coming up here there's no way so then like after we left and we headed I think to another event we stopped at a place where we could wash mm-hmm. them off and mm-hmm. it was great I think just Google Maps is great for that and you just look for self dog yeah. wash or whatever and it's really good to just back of the mind thing yeah also yeah. like long drives they sleep most of the time they're, they're not too anxious which is great I mean Kai is a little anxious but I mean just like we need to stop and stretch on our feet so do the dogs so we try to make sure like they get their walks in every few breaks that we have to take. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you just accept that it takes a little longer to get somewhere because you are taking a few more stops just in mm-hmm. case they need to stretch out and there's stuff. Yeah, and also the fact that we also simplify their their diets whenever we are on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, for a good while, I cooked food for Kaya and it was just like cooked chicken with some vegetables, like just nothing else. Now we just travel just dry food because it, it is a lot simpler and she's okay with it. Yeah. It was a little bit of a transition, but she's now very much okay with eating just dry food. Yeah. yeah. And it just makes life so much easier. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Did you 
always photograph your vehicle and the scenery when you were out? Or did that kind of like transition from your job to like extracurricular kind of photography, which has then led into other opportunities? I feel like we always shot whenever we went out mm-hmm. hiking. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of hard. Like both of us are professional automotive photographers. So we're, we were always shooting even before we shot cars. We both got into the industry doing what we do by shooting our own cars. Yeah. Right. Even way long before. So like Marissa had a Mazda RX-7 and I had a, or a Mazda Miata and we both shot those way before we even considered it a career. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so us going out and taking a break from LA and going hiking, we still like, we found ourselves shooting just as much as we would mm-hmm. for our regular careers. Mm-hmm. There's something different about shooting nature. It's really challenging. It's different than shooting like a subject, a car or a model or anything like that, because you have to wait for the light. It's, it's such a patient game. You have to really pay attention to your foreground, your middle ground, your background, how you're framing it. And I feel like it's such a challenge and it's really nice to be out there to where you're challenged to see differently than you ever see normally. It makes you almost feel like a hobbyist. Like even though we're professionals getting outside mm-hmm. and shooting nature, mm-hmm. you feel like a noob again. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. It's kind of nice. Yeah. It's, it's like, like a challenge. I will for sure admit that I suck at landscape photography, right? And I, I, I feel that, but like if you put a car in front of landscape, then I could do it all day long. But yeah. actually landscape photography, it's so difficult for us to wrap yeah. around. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. compared to our friends like Overland the Americas, like Ernesto is incredible at landscape photography. Yeah, yeah he definitely. has the patience for it. It's amazing. Yeah. What's the difficulty in the landscape photography compared to? It's 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 one most important thing is the seeing, right? You have to see yeah. a certain way, right? You have to see where your shot is, what is an interesting shot and things like that. And then the two is patience, right? You have to wait for the light. You have to sit there for who knows how long, like hours, right? Waiting for the light. It just might not work out sometimes. Yeah, which yeah. we we definitely find ourselves like not patient enough to fully wait for yeah. sunset. Like the sun will dip and we're like, all right, we shot it. Good. We start walking back to the car. We look back. We're like, oh my gosh, it's like glowing now. Mm-hmm. Why'd we leave? That happens yeah, but, yeah, every time. But the majority of that is seeing though. You have to see yeah. it differently because like we see cars all day long and we know how to see that. Like it's such an important photography like trait. But yeah, the seeing landscape stuff is different. Yeah. What tips would you give to people that want to improve their vehicle photography if they're out camping or overlanding or like are there certain angles that you want to choose or like hitting a vehicle in a certain way front three quarter shot seems to be very popular oh yeah front three quarters (laughs) that's the money shot (laughs) Um, lighting yeah just pay attention to your lighting if the sun is out typically I like it to the side of the car not fully backlit just a little over to the side where it's casting down the whole side panel of the vehicle if you're shooting like a front three quarter then you have that nice side light coming in and then I would say it's also vehicle dependent yeah right so like sure. a modern vehicle shoots completely different than an old vehicle sometimes an old vehicle will look great at high noon yeah. right but then an old the, the same modern car would just look like crap is it the shape of the vehicle it's a, it's a, it's a shaping yeah it's a yeah. shaping of the body vehicle. lines body yeah. lines and just how like the sculptors sculpted the bodies of the modern cars and stuff like that and how the light falls on it so mm-hmm. it just really depends yeah. yeah I think it's fun to play with foreground elements too maybe don't just focus on the car take a step back observe like certain formations of rocks around the area see if you can frame in a different way where it's it's not just like the car is front and center to your camera like take a step back and play with different elements of the environment nice good advice yeah and I, I always say small truck shots are always the best me because yeah. you get to see the whole landscape and the truck is just part of it ah right and that, that tells the story because we're so small and everything and we love that yeah. that's true because I guess if you have a beautiful front three quarter shot it doesn't necessarily tell the story of what's happening yeah, in yeah, the situation yeah. Yeah. For front three quarters we always call that the centerfold shot yes because that 
that is like just a money shot, right? That's what everyone wants to see. Yeah, you won't open up the magazine and that's it, right? But I think it's more grand to see the whole landscape because that's what we're out there for, right? Yeah. When we have cool vehicles and we have cool trucks, but the trucks is literally the paintbrush to get us out there, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You had some experience in editorial, like writing. I did. Right. Yes. yes yeah. Yeah. I I was a professional blogger for a website called Speedhunters.com for I'd say eight years, and I traveled the world covering car culture around the world. It was interesting. I traveled at the end of my towards the end of my my time there. I traveled to 300 to 320 days a year. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What did you learn from that experience? It, the same experience that I, I've learned when coming to like the Overland community is it's it's all about the people. Like that's the most important thing. Like no matter what car it is, it, the car is nothing without the person. Right. You have a beautiful car and you can look at it and say that's oh, really cool, but you have the story behind it and that becomes so much more. But that was my first run into professional writing and I absolutely tanked it. Right. And I was young and I didn't really know how to write and I I, I was kind of just thrown into it. Right. It was really difficult. It was highly difficult. But now I'm, I'm doing more writing now and it's just so easy. It just comes out. Yeah. So well, it's interesting how that works. With practice too. With practice. It's just, you just got to grind it. Yeah. And then Carissa, you can get on the tools and get in that vehicle and you've done so many different modifications and maintenance. And how did you start out with doing that? Um, I grew up at a shop in Texas. My family has a car audio shop. So I always grew up around cars and my brother had a car growing up and he's two years older than me. So when he was 16, he was always wrenching and I would just like watch him and his friends. I was kind of part of his friend group as well. And we would just work on cars all the time. So I, I learned a lot. I got a rotary as my first car to drive. It's funny. I always wanted like a Mustang and my grandpa was like, don't get an old 67 Mustang or 69 Mustang. You're going to have nothing but problems. And then I get a rotary, which is like even less reliable than all of that. And um, the engine failed within like a year of old owning it. So that's where I really learned a lot of my mechanics was rebuilding that engine and building it pretty much from the ground up. Also, side note, it is 500 horsepower that she built with on, on E85 and then 450 on pump gas. <laughs> and my Miata is 90 horsepower. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's been a fun experience, though. You know, coming from like the rotary world, I definitely know that engine much better than I do the Land Cruiser or even the Montero. Mm -hmm. Like I, I never worked on a piston motor, so I don't know if I could say I can like fix anything like that. But regular maintenance, like I definitely can do a walk around before we hit a trip and make sure everything looks good. Mm -hmm. Those experiences kind of uh, lead to how you decided what you were going to do with the Montero or is it more like lifestyle based? The Montero is just like a natural thing. It just kind of happened. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. We never even thought about like we never think about maybe where you could call us nearsighted almost as in we never think about the future that far. Um, we think about what's going to happen the next day or what we want to do in the near in the coming days. But we never plan too far ahead. And that ethos kind of goes into the Montero. And we never just thought, oh, this is what we want to do with the Montero. Or we just did it. And then we came back from somewhere like, oh, let's just fix this because it wasn't working right. Right. So what were some of your favorite kind of modifications with that vehicle? That made um, life easier or you just enjoyed? The biggest thing, the biggest first change was switching from a cooler to a fridge. Yeah. And so, so we had an Airb fridge first and then we switched over to Medic fridge. And that was like by far the greatest upgrade that you could ever have. Well, we came and, from just like a cooler. Yeah, we just came that. from a cooler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Our vegetables were always soggy and we hated it and we tried yeah. to work our way around it. And It was fine for weekends, but then we, yeah. we started going out longer. <laughs> Since we're freelancers, we were like, oh, well, we don't have to go out on like a Friday to Sunday sort of thing. We could just like push our shoots towards the end of the week instead of the beginning of the week and like take a little bit longer of a trip. And then we'd have like soggy veggies and everything. Oh, no. Um, yeah. So I would say that's definitely like it was such a such a treat to really have yeah. a and fridge then, like that. And second to that would be the, the drawer build out and then the kitchen build. 
build out on top of that, which yeah. then started leading us to cooking better and all that stuff. And it was just more enjoyable to cook out there. And great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And honestly, going from the rooftop tent we had, we had just like the kind, like, how do you shell? I guess you could call it a clam shell. Where right? you have to like unfold it and then you like put all of the steaks in and everything. And then we went to a hard shell rooftop tent and it was like a game changer. It would take us usually like an hour to break down camp. And then we got the hard shell rooftop tent where you just close and latch it. And it would take us like five minutes to if leave that, camp. If, it was yeah, great. It was fantastic. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. What are some of your favorite trips that you took in that vehicle? It's probably um, hard to. That, that, I would say we did an Escalante trip early on and that was kind of our, our first foray into actual public land, I guess. I mean, we always did like 395 and Lone Pine and all that and, and California. That, that, California, but like for some reason we went to Escalante and um, it just really opened our eyes of just how much land there is and how vast yeah. and how beautiful it is. And I think to me, that that's one that always sticks in my mind. Mine's, right? mine's Grand Teton. Yeah. yeah, we drove out to Grand Tetons um, actually for a photo shoot. We were shooting in the National Park for Dodge and we're like, we might as well drive. We would have flown normally for a job, but we were like, we have the Montero now. Let's make this a road trip. So we drove to the Grand Tetons and then after the job, we camped out there for like a week mm-hmm. and then we drove to the Pacific Northwest, right? No, we, we did we did Tetons and then we did uh, Yellowstone as well yeah. on the same trip. Yeah, yeah. but we had a east then, yeah, or west yeah, to, we had west to, to Pacific Northwest, Pacific Northwest yeah. and it was it was incredible. It Just was so being nice. in the forest in the Grand Tetons, we basically all saw all four seasons in one day. Whenever we got to camp, it was beautiful and sunny and you saw like wildflowers and green and then like an hour or two later snow started dumping and it was just it was magical and it was snow started falling and it was june like late june probably yeah yeah so it was just really cool it was magical nice and you guys have some international travel under your belts as well well obviously for your job you traveled Mm -hmm. quite a bit Mm -hmm. um did you do some personal trips that were really memorable we've been to vietnam together three times i would say that's one of our most memorable countries not because just because i'm vietnamese but because this the country itself is just gorgeous it's a gorgeous gorgeous country with beautiful people and absolutely delicious food the combination of all those things is like not just like outside country gorgeous but like city gorgeous is in its, in its own right now yeah. it's yeah. thrilling I remember whenever we were first trying to go to Vietnam I was unsure if I wanted to go we'd watch Anthony Bourdain's shows and stuff mm-hmm. and you'd be like look at all the food and I'd look and I'd be like it all looks so like dirty do I want to go here and mm-hmm. then we went and my life was completely changed I fell in love with it mm-hmm. just being on the scooters and going in the streets you'd smell the food sit and have coffee every morning and it was just such a blast we we rode in the countryside on little motorcycles or what do you call those scooters Scooters. went to like rice fields and we'd be on our scooters we actually slid off of one of the scooters because the rice fields is all rocky Uh and it was just so freeing it was awesome highly recommend vietnam go to southeast asia asap yeah 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 for sure (laughs) it is an amazing country yeah Yeah. and cheap oh my gosh i mean the two of us for two weeks we were on like 250 250 dollars for hotel flights in between areas of the country um scooter rentals food, food all of it mm. 250 dollars for two weeks for two of us isn't insane gotta go back 100 yeah. <laughs> i'm go. ready Let's go. <laughs> right now that's awesome so you guys traveled in your montero for how quite a while yeah, uh, yeah like five years five years yeah five six years yeah. Yeah. okay yeah. and then at some point you decided that you were ready for a change yes so actually it was was it that tetons trip or it was the tetons i think trip. it was maybe a different trip after that but it was in the pacific Northwest. it was okay so it was my birthday and we were somewhere i forgot where exactly and it was raining and cold and we pulled in the camp we stopped by a grocery store on the way to camp and Crystal bought me a birthday cake right we sat out the awning just to be outside and we had it i blew my candles and we immediately just went straight inside the two front seats of the montero to get out of the cold because it was so cold it was well, probably like 
wet. And wet. It was raining. Yeah. It was freezing. So we jumped in the front seats and had our birthday cake in we the front We had our birthday seat. cake in the front seats. And yeah. then we were just like, we need something different. We need to, some, to have something that we could just be inside. Yeah. yeah. And then honestly, the tease from the gods happened whenever we were in um, Oregon. Outside of Oregon. Yeah. Outside of Oregon. Yeah. And we had already, at that point, we were like, okay, we know we want something different. We know we want interior space, but we don't want to go too big. And we're up in the tent. We just poured some miso soup out of like a little jet And it was foil. another cold like cold. night where we were early into the tent and we were in our rooftop tent then and it was yeah. just cramped. And, and you could tell rain was coming. So we're, And it was still early. Like rain was about to hit. Like so we're like, okay, probably. let's go up. We'll have some miso soup. And then we're down this road where we haven't seen a car for a while. And we hear something coming. And we're like, it's like, oh. clack, 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 yeah, clack. And we're like, what is that? It sounds like diesel. And then yeah. we like kind of unzip the window and you only see the two lights. We're like, oh, I don't know. Like maybe they're just coming to camp too. And then they get a little closer and it's a Land Cruiser Troopy and we just lose our stuff. We're like, oh my gosh, the gods are literally teasing us right now because that's obviously what we had in our vision of what we wanted. And we're like, this is it. Like, this is a sign we need to make it happen. And it's from that point on, we were just like, what could we do to get a Troopy? Yeah. That's, that's all it was. Yeah, yeah. We were already kind of looking at that time, but it mm. was just a slow process of finding the right one for mm. us. And then after that, I was like, it's time that I start looking. Mm. And I went really ham on just digging and searching for one in different countries. And yeah. we found one. We found one in Australia, in Darwin, Australia. And we put our money down and shipped it over. And yeah. How did you find it? Like how, <laughs> what kind of research process This is the most that? Carissa question ever. <laughs> I'm all for finding a good deal. Let's be real. <laughs> no, but I was, I was looking in every country. I had different apps that were kind of like auto trader for South America. I'd refresh them every day. I had probably 30 plus tabs open on my computer that I refresh every day. And I looked in Dubai in the Middle East. I looked in Australia. I looked in Japan. I looked in Europe and I would just be refreshing to see if a Land Cruiser would get posted. And I, I definitely would see different ones get posted. And I'd inquire with a few. And then I was invited to a group actually by Ernesto with Overland Americas. He invited me to this Australian Facebook group and got on that. And a lot of guys post their rigs there. And I found one and I was like, Lindbergh, this might be the one. It's perfect. It has the dual fuel tanks. It's diesel. It's a 1HC. It's straight six. It, it checked all of the boxes. No rust, all that good stuff. Um, wasn't built out. So it was ready for anything that we wanted to do to it. And then that's when the process started from there. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> the power of social media. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Awesome. But we had people looking for probably about a year and a half for us. Mm -hmm. And then whenever that whole troopy encounter in Oregon happened, I was like, okay, I, I want to find something really soon. And so that's whenever I went in and I just started refreshing every day. How long did it take for it to ship over? Um, we bought it in August of 2020 and it got here in December of 2020, which was just before the container blow up insanity and Long Beach and pretty much every port yeah. in the United States, but especially Long Beach. That's where we are based in Long Beach. And we would just see the boats piling up. And at that time we had already got the troopy, but we're really lucky it happened when it did mm -hmm. because a truck could have been sitting just right across from us, just in the ocean, unable to load for like months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's the make and model of it in year? It's a 1994 Toyota Land Cruiser troop carrier, RV. Not sure, sure what the RV stands for, but well, there's a couple, couple <laughs> options, but it, does, models, it doesn't but, yeah. matter. And then you set out to convert it pop top yeah we interior. did pop top interior space yeah. yeah full electrical we have plumbing for the first time in our lives electrical water heater and then diesel heater as well and yeah life is too luxurious almost now it's almost too good yeah yeah it's, yeah. it's very good yeah. it was a fun process though we, we've never done any sort of build out like that and whenever we got it it was basically empty it had two drawers in it we pulled them out and we went to texas which is where my family's shop is and so high pro yeah, thanks high pro thanks mom and dad for making space <laughs> for us so 
So we're, <laughs> we're taking a spot in the shop for three months. It took us to build the truck out. We started in like March, I think. Mm-hmm. And then by the time we started getting to finishing, it was becoming so hot. We needed to start working again because we did take the time off to go there and build it out. And we were just like, we got to get out of this heat. This, this is becoming miserable. We've got to finish this really soon. But we finished right on time. It's perfect. Nice. Did you come across any complications along the way in terms of any, I don't know, anything? I mean, or did it, was it smooth sailing? For the build out, I feel like it was actually pretty smooth. The build out itself was smooth, but then we ran into what you call used car issues, right? And on the drive home from Texas to back to California, after everything was built out, our transmission went out. Right. We eventually had to get that rebuilt. Yeah, so. left that morning and that afternoon we got broke down in literally the middle of nowhere, Texas. We were so excited. We are like, first night, we're going to camp in somewhere nice. It's going to be great. And then we tried to turn around mm-hmm. and it would not go into gear. It wouldn't move. And we we're like, okay, great. <laughs> yeah. We're really excited to get out of Texas just because Texas doesn't have public land. Yeah. And just to get into New Mexico and then just be on public land for the first time in our pop top and yeah. the build out. And we're really excited about that. But, but honestly, it worked out just yeah. as, as best as it could have because we were able to get a trailer and get towed. If we had been in the middle of nowhere, it would have been way harder. So, right. Yeah. Everything happens when it should, I guess. Yes. Yeah. How has that interior space changed things for you on the road? I would say the biggest negative that interior space does mm. is that you enjoy it too much, mm-hmm. especially as an introvert. You just want to get away and having a such a comfortable space to be in. You just gravitate towards that. He's like, I want my book or whatever. Right. And because of that, we find ourselves not going outside as much all the time. Yes. Right. Um. So that's the biggest negative. But at the same time, it does still take us to those places that we do want to go. And then we're not when we're not doing like those days, we're just at camp and just hanging out. Um. We are outside and, it, and it's amazing. And then when the weather does roll in, then we are inside and we have that option to be inside. So the negative of just gravitating towards the interior space is a small negative, but I would say overall, it's just an incredible, like life changing thing. Yeah. I mean, it the dogs love it. Yeah. We have way more yeah. space whenever we're, we're somewhere and it's like pouring rain or anything. We can just sit up on the couch and be mm-hmm. comfortable, which mm-hmm. is really great. I mm-hmm. mean, even with the Montero, you were like a hundred percent outside. So you had to get out your camp chairs. You had to put out the awning, all that good stuff. And with the Troopy, I'm like, I don't even have to go get my chair. Like, I'm just going to sit right here and look out the window and it's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. I call it the moving cabin, right? So, cause it's a cabin that could just always move and you look out the window and the, the view always changes. So like, it's nice to not to have to set up camp all the time. They so just pop, pop it and you're good. Yeah. We've so, really enjoyed it. It's yeah. been awesome. It's, 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 it's almost, I would say it's, it's so good. Yeah, it's like spoiling. Huh? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And you guys took a trip to Baja recently and was that kind of like the first longer trip that you had done in the Troopy? It was. Yes. Yeah. 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 We had only done shorter breakdown trips like week, weekends, mm-hmm. mostly week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Baja was amazing. We found out. So a couple of things, like whenever you're on these longer trips, you find things out about your rig that you never knew before. Right. So one of those things is we wanted to get rid of our bull bar that came with the Troopy for, for so long, because one, we don't like the look of it and we wanted just a cleaner look up front and then two, the weight. Right. And, but we went on the Baja trip and we realized that we used the bull bars every single day for laundry. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Right? A couple of our friends were like, man, we're really jealous. You have places to put your towels and swimsuits. <laughs> <laughs> now that that has happened, we don't want to get rid of it. Is it worth the wait? Probably not, but it's better than stringing up a laundry line somewhere and sometimes you don't have anywhere to string up laundry lines. Yeah, so. I mean, I personally am okay with it because the peace of mind in case mm-hmm. like an animal does cross the road, you know, you just never know and it's nice to have that extra protection. Mm-hmm. For sure. Nice. Were there any kind of like organizational things that you changed during that trip just to make accessing things inside easier? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, 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 for sure, for <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah, we realized that we, where we originally thought we would put our clothes, that completely changed, and mm-hmm. for easier access because we realized that's something we get every day, and the things that you reach for every day, you want to make it easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and things we need to add. Like we were originally going to add like a, a hose for a shower, and and we never did that during the build out because we were just we were trying to finish everything in Texas as quickly as possible. By the time we got to plumbing, we were like, let's just make it simple and deal with it later. And then in Baja, we were like kind of rigging up like this thing that would go to the sink and you just stick it in the sink and it becomes like a little shower head. And now I'm, I'm like, we really need to just do a shower head because it wasn't the most convenient thing to do. So we figured that out too. Nice. Baja was incredible. We loved it so much. <laughs> Want to go back for sure. All the wells and everything that we saw just from our campsites, they would be breaching all day long. And we were like, this is insane. Yeah, it's a magical place. That's for sure. Like food, oh, landscape. Gosh. It's yeah. one of those combinations again, like Vietnam, right? It's food, landscape, people, people. Yeah. even the, even the cities, like the towns that you, you cross through and they're just gorgeous towns. Yeah, we brought so much canned food with us because we're like, okay, we're going to be somewhere and we're not going to leave. And we, it ended up being, we moved a lot more than we thought we would, but we ate tacos almost every day. We barely touched our food or even cooked. So we were spoiled with all the, the mm. local food. Speaking of being spoiled by food, you guys have been in the Dominic booth cooking up meals every day yeah, here at yeah, Expo yeah. West. <laughs> has been so amazing for me running around uh-huh. just to be like, oh, we just stop by and get some really, really delicious, thoughtfully made uh-huh. with love food uh-huh. and really enjoying it and taking a minute to enjoy it has been such a pleasure. But you guys, food is like integral, it seems, to your travels and what you do. Has that always been the case or is this something that has kind of occurred over time? It, it, it's definitely something that occurred over over time. Ooh, um, I don't know, man. <laughs> Limburg <laughs> loves food. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know I, I do yeah. love eating food. Yeah. Like, I'm like, like, I gained like 25 pounds when I met you. We ate cream barbecue at least twice a week. So you love food. You've made me really, really love food. I didn't take cooking seriously until I met Carissa. For some reason, I don't know why. I've always cooked and then I've always enjoyed cooking, but I didn't take it seriously until we met and we started dating. And then when we started going out camping, I started to realize that I didn't want to eat what was normally traditional camping food, right? You would call it the chilies and the cornbreads and the steaks and um the mountain man breakfasts, you know, the staples like that. And I didn't want to eat that because that's stuff that we didn't crave. Like we crave like Vietnamese food. We crave Korean food. It's everything, right? A Mexican food too. And, and and it's just, yeah. So because of that, we wanted to eat what we craved out when we were out. And I did what I could to facilitate that, I guess. I, and it was, it was a giant learning process to do that. Yeah. Take me through that. Was this like a YouTube slash blog slash recipe books or like specific ingredients that you started with? A lot of my learning wasn't from recipes or anything. It was actually from watching YouTube street food tours. Oh. Yeah. I got a lot of because when whenever you see street food vendors, they have to cook things as quick as possible, as good as possible um, in a very short amount of time. I, I watch a ton of like India street food tours and see how they did it. And then um, Asia street food tours and all that other stuff. And you get certain techniques from these videos that I would apply. So like say like whenever we make fall camp, like instead of having a long brew of seven to eight hours or whatever to make an actual pho broth, I would actually just buy bone broth from the store and then I would cut the time to from because I used the bone broth, it, it went from eight hours to two hours, right? And it was freaking delicious. Yeah. So it's just like the little things like that. In terms of ingredients, I had to simplify a lot of the, the things that we craved. I always thought in my head, I have to have one exotic ingredient and then mm-hmm. everything else has to be easy because you can't get like, say, some special Korean thing in the middle of nowhere. So I carry fish sauce full time. I 
carry soy sauce full time. Um, and those are like what I call special ingredients that make life easier on the road. These are integral ingredients for certain meals, right? And it's also ingredients that could be spread out to other meals, right? So I like, for example, I use fish sauce to make spaghetti sauce, right? Where that thought process comes from is that it's the Italian mentality they put um, anchovies into their red sauce, right? Instead of carrying a can of anchovies that I use once, might as well just use juice of anchovies and it's, I use it all the time. <laughs> Genius. I think one time we were out with you guys, camping with mm-hmm. you guys, and I think it was scrambled eggs with fish, fish sauce. Yeah. And we were like, this is delicious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's such a smart thing to carry. It's incredibly smart. Like, And, and mm-hmm. I always tell people that think about how nomadic people long ago traveled and what they did and how they made food good just for what they did. And uh, and because of that, that's how that's what how I stocked my pantry. Right. So and it, 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 it's it's worked out. So yeah. nice. Yeah, what are some other staples that you usually bring with you? Um, So I always carry some sort of soy, like fish sauce, soy sauce. And then I always always have to carry a, a, an acid of some form. So I always carry rice wine vinegar because for me, rice wine vinegar is very versatile because I could do quick pickles and then I could do um, I can make teriyaki sauce if I wanted to, like just from scratch and make a soup and soup sometimes need like, a, like as an acid. I have an acid. So having the acid is so important, especially like when you taste something and it's, you go, hmm, it needs something. And every time you say that to yourself and you try that, it needs an acid. No, no ifs, ands or buts. Right. And the other thing that we carry is not sponsored, but the true lime uh, crystallized lime packets. Those things have been a game changer for us. It comes in little packets and they're they're for flavoring water. And it's just literally crystallized lime juice. And I use it to make ceviches. I use it to uh, make Vietnamese fish sauce. And it's just it's incredible. And I don't have to have limes all the time now. I mean, we travel with <clears throat> with fresh produce. We do. But, like, travel sometimes to, we're out. Yeah, sometimes we're out or sometimes yeah. we're long, out long enough where you don't have that. And, uh, and also it's another option of an acid. And then another thing I'd say, like we always carry sugars and then Korean chilies and it's labeled yep. K-pop chili. That's true. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I do like a kimchi is like very quick kim, a cucumber chim, kimchis and I make buddha jjigae which is a Korean army stew and that requires Korean uh, pepper so the Korean pepper things is, I would say is very specific to us because that's stuff stuff that we like to cook and eat so yeah love it mm-hmm. are there any recurring dishes or are you always innovating like is there a go-to the, the go-to is always uh, buddha jjigae for sure yeah so it's yeah. Korean army stew this content is brought to you by Overland Journal our premium quality print publication the magazine was founded in 2006 with the goal of providing independent equipment and vehicle reviews, along with the most stunning adventures and photography. We care deeply about the countries and cultures we visit and share our experiences freely with our readers. We also have zero advertorial policy and do not accept any advertiser compensation for our reviews. By subscribing to Overland Journal, you're helping to support our employee-owned and veteran-owned publication. Your support also provides resources and funding for content like you are watching or listening to right now. You can subscribe directly on our website at overlandjournal.com. Yeah. And it's easy because it's one pot too. So yeah. It's less cleanup, yeah. which is great. And it's so easy. You just take ramen noodles. Yeah. I mean, it's ramen noodles, but then uh, c- can I do a history lesson of Oh my gosh. Yes, please. Okay. So the, the, the story of Buddha Jige, Korean Army Stew, is a story of American occupation. After the Korean War, Americans occupied the DMZ and then everywhere near the DMZ. And after the war, all the locals actually didn't have a lot of fresh proteins. Like, no, there's no cows or anything or pigs because it all went to the soldiers and because they didn't have any proteins they did what they could to get proteins and at the time the, the, the only place to get proteins were the American bases and so they they would barter with the Americans with what they had at the time for proteins and at the time the proteins was hot dogs and spam <laughs> right and they took those those proteins and they, they turned it into their own they, they have this this dish it's called um, kimchi jjigae so it's a it's a Korean stew with kimchi and instead of that they, they took the same stuff with that and they put the, the spam in, 
into it and the hot dogs and American cheese. And it's, it's now like a hugely famous Korean dish. I would say like number two to Korean barbecue. Yeah. Wow. In terms of notoriety of like if you talk about Korean food or if you talk about any culture and you talk about Korean food, it's like Korean barbecue and Korean army stew. So, so interesting how food and history intersect. Yeah. All over all the, the time. world. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I always like every time I do these like cooking demos, I'm always like, this is a story of American occupation in a different country. Like for instance, I would do uh, here, here at uh, Expo, I did uh, Okinawa taco rice. And that was another same story of after World War II and all the other stuff. But yeah, it's just, I loved that, that aspect of food. So yeah. interesting. It's so interesting. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Yeah. And, and a lot of Vietnamese culture's food is because of French occupation, right? Like the baguette and then the crepes and, and then savory crepes and then broth making from the French and all this other stuff. And so, yeah, I can't get away with it because I live it, right? Um, it's part of my culture. So, yeah. You love that stuff. You I love watch that, that stuff. stuff all day the, on YouTube. There's a, there's this meme and it, well, I think Carissa found is it's, it's whenever you turn 35, you're either into, what was it? World II history or... Or, or, or smoking meats. Smoking meats. <laughs> I was like, this is so accurate. And so I'm both of those, actually. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for, for sharing all that those tips with us. I'm uh-huh. sure people will have a good time trying yeah. to innovate with their cooking, camp cooking. Because, yeah, uh-huh. it can get repetitive. So It could get repetitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 for sure. Nice. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question that I try to ask everybody on the podcast. If you could travel anywhere right now, where would you go and why? Does it need to be overlanding? No, oh, okay. no, no. It can be any type of travel. Anywhere. I mean, I, I would definitely jump on a flight in a heartbeat to Vietnam. We've been itching since COVID happened. Mm-hmm. Like we were planning to go and then COVID happened. So, I mean, I'm ready. I, I would say the same thing. And also because I have a, a cousin that grew up in the States and now he lives now in Vietnam. And he's he keeps and, and, and over the course of COVID, he says that the country is modernizing so fast. And it's like a lot of it's disappearing. A lot of what we love, like street foods disappearing a little more and more and things like that. So More cars mm-hmm. on the road. I mean, gosh, even between the three years that we went, we went year after year. And mm-hmm. every year you could tell it was becoming so different mm-hmm. just within those three years. So I can't imagine what it's like now. Yeah. Well, modernization is a good thing, but we loved what we've experienced and we want to continue it before it disappears. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And preserving cultures and all that yeah, and yeah. food and everything is yeah. so important. Yeah. Along with- cheese has never existed in Vietnamese culture until mm. I'd say eight years ago. And now cheese is prevalent everywhere because it's just westernization. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Cool. Thank yeah. you. Well, if listeners want to find you on the interwebs or wherever, where can they find you? Uh, we have an Instagram. It's Gone Durton. And we have a YouTube and it's Gone Durton as well. <laughs> it's all on Gone Durton. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys have some fabulous recipes on your website. Yeah, we, we, at GoneDurton.com, we have recipes and a couple blogs. So yeah, mostly recipes though. Cool. Yeah. What's next for you two? Well, we ha- after Overland Expo, we're planning to be on the road for a month. So we're hoping to head probably towards Glacier area. Uh, we haven't been to Banff, so I don't know if we're going to cross through. We, bought our, we brought our passports. So we might case. visit Ashley. Yeah. <laughs> Please come visit me. Um, and then, yeah, later in the year, um, I will be hosting a trip in Chile and Argentina. So we'll be in South America later this year. I'm really excited. And we're trying to decide if we're going to ship to Trippy or not. Mm. Uh, and be, and because we're going to be, uh, because of Chris's uh, group trip in Argentina, um, Chile, we might as well just stay out there, right? So that that was kind of a thinking about doing three months-ish in Chile, Argentina. Yeah. Nice. Exciting. Yeah. Trippy or no Trippy, we're going no matter what. Yes, 100%. Fantastic. Excited. Yeah. I'm excited to follow along along with your adventures mm-hmm. later this year. And I wanted to say thank you guys so much for coming on the Overland Journal podcast and chatting with me. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us. us. We'll be following your adventures too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah. And thank you to all the listeners for tuning into this episode of the Overland Journal podcast. And we will see you next time. Bye.